0: Welcome to the Financial Coaches Podcast, where we talk about how to build your practice from startup to scale-up, while being the kind of coach your clients crave. Finally, a podcast for financial coaches. Here are your hosts, Maria Casillas and Cody Sizemore.
1: Welcome to the Financial Coaches Podcast. Today, we have a very special episode because we have a guest. And none other is the guest, but his name is Tim McGovern of Trusted Financial Coaching. Tim, how you doing?
0: I'm doing great. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing just fine as well. And of course, we have Maria here too. Maria, how you doing?
2: Hello. Hello. And the internet actually broke up for a second there, so I didn't hear your full introduction. Did you mention that Tim's a listener of the podcast?
1: I did not okay. mention that yet, but I was going to get to that. All right. So. I'll go ahead and get into it right now. So yeah, so the way that Tim Tim and I actually connected, um, he was a a listener of the podcast. And I believe that Tim just reached out to me and just said, hey, like, dig the podcast. Thanks for doing what you're doing. And we just got to chatting. And then that led to a phone call um, to which I loved our conversation on the phone. I mean, We talked for, I don't even know how long, maybe 45 minutes or something like that. Um, and we just learned a lot about each other and, you know, what we're doing and what we love to do. And um, even found out that he, much like myself, uh, also likes to do bike rides. Um, now, Tim crushes it with the bike rides. He goes much further than I do. Uh, I don't even, you know, I'll let him kind of speak on that. Um, but he said he listens to the podcast on his bike rides, which I listen to podcasts on my bike rides. So we just connected a lot, you know, and, um, I thought that it would be a great idea to invite him on and, and share some value and that kind of stuff. So Tim, why don't you tell us about your bike rides first and then we'll dig into this because the people have to know like what exactly you're doing here.
0: Well, I set a goal for myself about three years ago that I wanted to lose some weight. So that's how I originally started riding a road bike. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and as I got into it, I set a goal of trying to hit 5,000 miles in a year. And then I turned that goal into a 15,000 mile goal over the course of three years. And for me to do that, the big deal for me was to follow through in the consistency um, and to, you know, really be able to figure out and time block the time to do it. Because working two jobs, um, it's very difficult to find time. To exercise, and it's often something that we put aside. So, I just completed my fifteen thousand mile goal early wow. in December of twenty twenty one. So, I came in about three weeks ahead of schedule. But I was—I relished a couple of weeks off after that to get my body. <laughs> yes,
1: yes, a well-deserved couple of weeks <laughs> yeah. off. Yeah, yeah. Congrats, man! And that consistency that you talk about. When, you, when you've when you put yourself through that and you had to be consistent with the bike rides, did you also find that you were then consistent in other areas of your life because of that as like a byproduct?
0: Yes, I did. I absolutely did. I found that if I could follow through on my goals and I, I learned how to time block and I set a very um, strict schedule for myself that I was able to follow. And what that did is it enabled me to make sure that the important things in my life were covered. Um, And that was something that I learned that really added a lot of value to my life while I was trying to manage two jobs and a family and, you know, being a husband and everything else.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's incredible what, like, if you were to just do better in one area or, you know, get one skill out of one area in life that you can apply it to really everything else. And I'm sure that that's spoken volumes about your own coaching practice as well. And um, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, we're going to dig into the topic, um, of the struggles of a new coach, right? (laughs) So Tim has been crushing it on his end. Um, I'd like to give him the opportunity to kind of give you a little bit of background about him and what he's doing and, you know, how long he's been coaching, all that kind of stuff. And then we're going to dive into the topic of, you know, the struggles of a new coach, because I know that we have a lot of newer coaches as listeners, And it can be tough, especially when you're first starting out and you don't know everything or you're, you know, you don't have the best network or whatever it might be. It can be a difficult road to get started on. And if you're able to know a few things ahead of time and know how to handle them or maneuver through them, it just makes it a lot easier. So Tim, why don't you go ahead and just tell us a little bit about what you do, how you've been doing it, and then we can transition into the topic.
0: Sure. Well, I I took uh, coach training in uh, 2020, late 2020. And I did that while I was starting to think through what were my plans for retirement. I'm 37 years with my company, so I'm getting to to the point where I'm seriously thinking of collecting a pension and doing something that I really, truly have a passion for. So I I started exploring um, the potential of going back to school and becoming a CFP. We're going the financial coaching route, and I decided on the financial coaching route. So I, I went through training uh, late 2020, and then I opened up my own business on January 1st of 2021. So I've been coaching for just a little over a year.
1: Nice. And how you, you've been enjoying it, I'm assuming, right?
0: Yeah, it's not without its challenges, right? Because I work a <laughs> full-time job each day and trying to, uh, you know, I can very accurately set my night schedule, but I don't always know exactly when my daytime job's going to end. So that can put a little stress on the day. And the other thing I've learned is i uh very much a perfectionist. That's my Enneagram. So I want to do well, um, and I want to do it right from the start. So that that created a lot of stress on myself that was artificial at times but nonetheless very real.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd love to know So I Tim... think that
1: both of those.
2: Sorry, oh, we sorry, must we, we must have a leg. I was just going to ask I'd love to know what made what was that straw that kind of allowed you to choose coaching over becoming a CFP?
0: Well, originally when I went for my MBA program, I was going for two masters at the same time. I was going for a CFP degree and I was going for an MBA. And it was just too much for me to do at the time. I I really had a heart to, I love finance. I love helping people with finance. So I have a lot of CFPs in my family. Um, So it was something that I was naturally steered toward. As I got later in life though, um, I realized that it wasn't the investment side of things that I was as interested in it was really helping people who were struggling trying to figure out how to put their financial life together, Mm -hmm. um, just even from the basics. And that was something I felt that I was more ready to start uh, because I've been helping people my entire life uh, at my company. Mm -hmm. So it was something that I felt very natural in stepping forward into.
2: So it kind of came down to people over strict numbers.
0: Yeah. And the other thing too, in all honesty, was I I didn't want to go back to school again for two years and do a thousand hours of training. Um, I just wanted to get started. Uh, Mm -hmm. Coaching was more of when I looked at the difference between the two jobs, coaching was really what I wanted to do. So it was a very easy decision for me.
2: Awesome. Thank you for answering that. Now go ahead, Cody. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So
1: going back, um, you had said two things. One was that you know you you even to this day, um, kind of struggle with finding the balance of you know working your your job and also doing coaching on top of that. And then you also mentioned that you're a little bit of a perfectionist too, right? Um, and I know from experience and just talking to a lot of people that those are two things that a lot of new coaches, struggle with, you know, like finding that balance of like, what, well, you know, like I'm trying to build the coaching business, but I need to put food on the table for my family. So I need to keep working my job until that gets to a point where I can take that step. And, you know, when you're trying to start something too, you, you know, you always want to make sure that all your ducks are in a row and everything's perfect, stuff like that. So is there any sort of advice to, to someone who might be just starting out? That might be struggling with either one of those.
0: You know, Cody, uh, being a perfectionist, I, I felt that I wasn't prepared enough to start coaching after I finished the training that I had. So I spent a lot of time building out my coaching roadmap and the materials that I would use to take people through what it is that I wanted to educate them on. I wasn't in a rush to start my business um, because I also I had a full time job. So for me, it was just making sure that. I really was ready to start when I felt ready to start. Um, mm-hmm. so, so one of the pieces of advice that I would give is you know, seek out a good coach in the beginning, especially for like handling the business side of things, the administrative side of things. And get that out of the way quick. You know, so then you can really start to learn, grow, and develop in the areas of coaching that are really important, like the mm-hmm. ability to really listen the um, the ability to ask effective questions, uh, getting to the root cause of your client's problems, uncovering their values and helping them work through it and, and, and whatever obstacles get in their way. That's where the value of coaching comes in. Not what spreadsheets you use or what pavement system you use or any of that other stuff. And although it's very important, we still need to figure that out. And for a lot of new coaches, th- those are the first hurdles that they have. Hey, what do, how do I set my business up? My sole mm-hmm. provider, my LLC. I have, I have, I volunteer time to a lot of coaches and have one on ones with them just to help them through those decisions because we we can waste so much time there. We really can. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of distractions there. Yeah. There sure are. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the fact that you said reach out to another coach. You know, whether, whether you actually hire another coach for you. Or, you know, you just, like, seek mentorship or you try and network and you learn from other coaches, whatever route you want to take, I, I totally agree because that's that's how I started building my coaching practice was, in fact, that's the reason why we're here today is because, like, one of the first coaches that I connected with um, was New Money Habits, you know, and, and I, I was a little young buck coach. I had no idea... <laughs> What I was doing, I really didn't even know what financial coaching was when I first connected with uh, Mike, which is one of the new Money Habits coaches. And he just like hopped on the phone with me for an hour and just talked to me. And I was super, super appreciative of that. And then not only did he do that, but then he continued to stay in touch with me and answered any sort of questions I had throughout the entire process. And I can honestly say that I don't know what would have happened if I didn't have like that support system um, or that kind of coach in my corner. So I think that's huge. Like that's a huge, huge, great piece
0: of advice there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've talked to over 75 coaches last year, one-on-one
2: Wow! just talking
0: about our businesses. Um, I also hired a coach for myself, one-on-one coach. And I also joined three mastermind groups, um, which are groups of, you know, five or six coaches that get together to work on, different topics. As a matter of fact, I'm leading one tonight on building your avatar client, defining your avatar client. So Mm -hmm. it's things like that that continue to help you to grow is by constantly pushing and challenging yourself and developing those relationships with other coaches because we are not, as you guys have said in the last podcast of yours I listened to, we are not in competition with one another. There's plenty Mm -hmm. of clients out there And we each have to develop our own unique sense of our of our coaching business, because we all have something different to offer. Um, And it's really important that we develop and figure that out for ourselves.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Love that.
2: I also love how you mentioned, Tim, that when you're looking for coaching, part of it's to develop how to become a coach, you know, how to ask the right questions, how to peel back some of those onion layers. Can you talk a little bit more about your journey with that piece of it? Because I, I know you've probably heard Cody and I talk about how so many, so many coaching programs out there teach you what to coach, but some of them just don't really teach you how to coach. They don't give you some of those skills and help walk you through that. What has your experience been with that?
0: Well, Maria, that is, that is an area that I am still growing in. So I have, uh, I have a Rich Litvin class that I'm taking. Um, I, I read a lot of books. Um, I've read The Coaching Habit, The Advice Trap, which were, were great books. Uh, I read boundaries. I read I mean, everything I can get my hands on that I can mm-hmm. devour to, to dig a little bit deeper into areas that I need to either uh, increase my knowledge in or to get a lot better at. And I know mm-hmm. that I am a coach that still um, tries to solve everyone's problems. Um, yeah. And that's something that I'm, I'm working on. You know, that that continuing to, to get it out of the client and let the client make the decision as opposed to laying out the roadmap for, for their financial success.
2: Why is that so important?
0: Because you can help a client get through their financial issues. But if you don't change their mindset and their behaviors, there's a great possibility they're going to get right back into the same situation.
2: Mm -hmm. And I would even say probability over possibility.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
2: Yeah. One other thing I want to point out is that you mentioned that you, you consume as much as you possibly can in order to help grow your knowledge base when it comes to that topic I'm going to venture to say that it's actually more important to practice, right? To actually do more than just try to consume the knowledge and, and build that that knowledge base for yourself. So what kinds of things are you doing, Tim, to practice those things that you're doing such a good job of taking in?
0: When I uh, have a coaching session, I have a 36-inch monitor above my MacBook Pro. And okay. I have questions, just a bunch of questions that I know I want to cover in that session. So it forces me to continue to to just ask questions and dig deeper. And I always try to ask, and what else? At Mm -hmm. least two times when I ask my client a question to try to dig and see if it really, we did get to to the root cause of what it is that they're they're, uh, talking about.
1: Isn't it fascinating how something as simple as and what else can be? Yeah. You know, like that's that's such an impactful question, but it's so simple. Mm-hmm. You know, but you're able to dig deeper and deeper with that. And it's just, it's fascinating to me.
0: That and the art of being silent. yeah, Giving your client time to think and answer without filling that void. And that was mm-hmm. uncomfortable for me in the beginning.
1: Mm-hmm. We actually just spoke about this. Uh, we recorded an episode yesterday, uh, and we ended up talking about the same exact thing. So you might even be listening to this and you might be like, I heard them talk about that in the last episode, you know? So, uh, but yeah, we, we talk about that a lot. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's very valuable and, and getting comfortable with that is difficult at first, but if you're able to like be comfortable with being uncomfortable, then the power in that is huge.
2: I think, I think too, that when we ask somebody and what else or, any question that's very similar to that. If we are watching them more than we are actually hearing them, we're going to get way more information because what you start to see is their filter start to kick in. So when you say in what else, you see their eyes, like, well, they start to say something and then their eyes do something and then they just like pivot and they start talking about something else. And if you're paying close enough attention, you can actually revert them back to like, where, where were you pivoting? And what, why is that off? limits right now, right? And so you can really start to just see more than you actually hear when you ask those very, very broad questions that dig a little bit deeper.
0: And some questions, it's even important to watch the spouse or the partner as Mm -hmm. the other responds because you can see their body language and then you can know where you have to dig a little deeper with them. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: And that's one of the reasons that I've never really been a fan of phone coaching. I know that some people do really well with it, uh, but because of my counseling background, I just have recognized the importance of just seeing body language and the nonverbal cues for for a long, long time. And some nonverbal cues you can hear, but so many of them you just have to see. And so I sometimes will do like an initial consultation over the phone just to make it simple for somebody. But oftentimes I really like to try to at least do a Zoom consultation or be able to have them in my home if they're local for that very reason, because it's like there's just so much valuable information there
0: yeah i only do in person and zoom coaching sessions i do a check-in call two weeks after the coaching session which is a follow-up to the original coaching session it's a it's Mm -hmm. an accountability call for progress Mm -hmm. that i will allow them to choose whether they want to do zoom or a phone call because it's only about a 15 minute call Um, but that's the only time that we would do a phone conversation
2: fantastic
1: yeah. I'm, I'm right stuff. there with you. There's uh, I, I really only do the consultation. Like the first I do, I split my consultations up 15 minutes, one, and then like an hour for another run. Uh, the 15 minute one is really the only time I do the phone calls. Now there is one person that I actually do coach and she's been a client of mine for over a year now and she just prefers phone. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't know why, but I don't want to push her. So I'm just like, okay, cool. Like no sweat. If that's what you're comfortable with. We'll do that. And it works well. But overall, yeah, Zoom is, is much better. So.
2: I've even Since had you brought Zoom'd that older...
0: up. Go ahead, Tim. Go ahead. I, I even have some older um, clients that didn't understand how to set up Zoom on an iPad. So mm-hmm. I walked them through how to set it up on the phone. And then we jumped on the Zoom call together uh, after that. Because it's very, very simple to set up. But they were a little mm-hmm. technically challenged. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. I was just going to ask Cody. Yeah. I was just going to ask you, since you mentioned that there, that you are successful with this one client, I'm just curious, are there certain tips that you have for like what you can listen for? Are there ways that she, you know, gives you some of those nonverbal cues that you're not able to see, but you can still pick up on?
1: It's the tone of voice. Um, her pauses, mm-hmm. um, and in, in particular, like, because you don't have the body language, you really, really need to pay attention to her language. Yep. You know, like, that's, that's like, really, really important. Um, even, like, right down to the, the words that she's choosing. Yes. You know, um, those are really the key components that i found.
2: So if you guys who are listening, if you have to do phone consultations or phone sessions, you want to make sure you're not trying to multitask because you are going to need to pay very close attention to what your client is trying to tell you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Tim, um, what are some struggles that you have noticed that newer coaches have?
0: Well, I think it, it goes back to what we talked about uh, a little earlier. And one is that, you know, they, they may feel they have the imposter syndrome, right? Am I really qualified to do this? A lot of things I see are, you know, that I that when I talk to new coaches are, what do I charge? You know, they're, they're very caught up in the rate structure. Um, mm-hmm. And that ties into that imposter syndrome. Um, does How do they set their business up? how do they manage their time if they especially if they're part-time coaches and i think some of it is they're 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 trying to hit the ground like some of the established coaches are now and, and you know they're they're, they're well developed and it's going to take them a while to get there and they have to go at their own pace and their success is their success your success is your success so you have to set your own definition of success for yourself and not compare yourself to someone else to define that for you. Um, some of the other things I've heard were, you know, even simple things like, you know, what spreadsheets do you use for budgets, or what apps do you use for budgets? Um, how often do I connect with my clients? Like, what does that look like for you? Do I do I charge them on a on a one time basis? Or do I have a, a menu of a program that I offer and how do I build them? Do I build them one, one month at a time or do I bill them a program with a discount? Um, you know, there's a lot of business related issues. Um, and that's why before I said, get a business coach, work that stuff through because you can get, you can spend so much time on, on those items that would really delay you from developing the areas that are important for you to become a more effective coach uh, than just a process and administration.
1: Yeah, sounds like a lot of everything, <laughs> right? Yeah. And yeah, and I, and I know how that feels, man. Like it's it's overwhelming, and sometimes that overwhelm can lead people to just be like, ah, it's not for me.
0: Well, you know? I'll tell you, I'll give you an example for myself. I, you know, I, as I told you, I've worked for the same company, large company, for thirty-seven years. So I've mm-hmm. never had to make a decision on software, payment systems, technology. I migrated from a Microsoft environment to my coaching business 100% in Apple. And I made that switch over when I started my business. So not only was I trying to learn a new you know, uh, software and, and iOS system, um, but I was trying to build a business that I had never done before either. So it just complicated things for me uh, twofold in trying to handle the technology side of things that was new to me, as well as... How do I set up and run a business? I've never done this before. You know, we mm-hmm. didn't even use Zoom and my, my company doesn't use Zoom. So there's some new tools as well that I had to figure out. Now, it doesn't take long to do that, but there are certain tools that you do need to have to be effective in the beginning. And certainly a video conferencing uh, program, a calendar app, a payment system, things like that are all important to get started.
2: Yeah. And you said twofold. Yeah. And and exactly. so I think sometimes it's threefold even because not only do you have those two things to learn, but sometimes you have a completely new skill set to learn, like we just discussed a few minutes ago. So there is so much. Sometimes it's like it feels like drinking from a fire hose. You know, there's such a learning curve.
0: You know, Maria, that's a great point, because the things that I struggled with when I first started, and and that's where this imposter syndrome comes into play is well, what happens if I get a client who's going through bankruptcy or I have to deal with creditors or someone's planning on retirement or, uh, you know, they're having, they're struggling with communication in their marriage. You mm-hmm. know, how do I get through that? Uh, as a coach, I've never dealt with that. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, there's other sides of the business other than just the process and and technology and, and, and infrastructure as well. So, So it's it's a little bit intimidating in the beginning.
2: Yeah, and I think some of those types of questions... It is, but I
0: think it's important.
2: We obviously have a a real leg. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think some of those types of questions... Okay, so we'll start over. (laughs) I think some of those types of questions, Tim, come from the idea that we have to know the answers... And and that is because we haven't yet figured out that piece that you mentioned several minutes ago about how if we're really great coaches, we're not providing the answers for them. We're helping them find those answers for themselves. And I think one of the biggest things about that is that it releases all of that pressure from us. Once you realize that being a good coach is asking the right questions and helping them come to their own conclusions, it kind of it gives you permission to not feel like you have to know all the answers about every single scenario. And I love that.
0: And that's the big change that I'm going through because they always came to me as the answer man. I've always been the answer man in every job that I've ever had. Mm-hmm. So I, that's my mindset. So it's a big change for me to, to revert to having them provide the answer with my guidance. Yeah. So it's something I'm still working through and perfecting, hopefully perfecting as I go. <laughs>
2: we're all still working through that. I don't think any one of us has ever come to the spot where we're like, we have it 100% all the time. We know exactly what we're doing. Uh, You know, everything that even the things that I know, book knowledge wise, again, you have to put it into practice. I mean, when I was getting my master's degree in counseling, it, it was one thing to read. And it was, you know, we learned a lot. But the rubber hit the road when we were sitting in a, two-way, you know, in a room with a two-way mirror and we were having to put into practice what was happening and we have all these people who are watching us in the background and they're picking apart every little thing that we're doing and they're giving us the feedback and we have to change that. And it is one of the most uncomfortable things I've ever had to do and yet probably one of the things that made me grow the most.
0: Well, one of the ways that I try to apply the things I learn is when I read a book, I sit down and say, okay, how can I build a coaching session out of this? Ooh, love so whether it's Atomic Habits thing. or Profit First <laughs> or Know Yourself, Know Your Money or whatever book it is, it's like, okay, let me build a session out of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yep. then I'll take my clients through it.
1: You know, I love that you say that because it's very important that when you read things or as you're consuming things, whether it be a podcast or a book or whatever, that you're not just always a consumer. You know, that you actually like take the information and you take action with it. Um, There's, there was actually a phrase that I heard the other day. I was listening to a podcast and this guy was talking about people who just consume, 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 consume. And they go into these courses after course, after course, and they join this masterclass after masterclass, after masterclass, but they never do anything with it. Mm. Right. And he's like, I call those people success zombies because they're trying to be successful. They're just walking around like all the time, you know? And that's the difference is there's people who consume and there's people who take action. So if you're listening to this today and you're thinking about all of these things that Tim or Maria or myself are saying, and you're like, wow, I should really take action on that, or that's a really good point. I should make note of that. Here's your sign.
2: (laughs) Write it it it. down
1: (laughs) and take some action, all right?
0: (laughs) Absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and it really does boil down to what we kind of opened this conversation about, which is just consistency. Consistency and putting yourself in those uncomfortable situations so that you can grow. And maybe you mess up, but that's how you learn, right? Absolutely.
2: Mm -hmm. To that point, I would love, Tim, could you unpack a little bit more about the time blocking? Because I think that it's very, very similar to how a lot of coaches walk their clients through budgeting that in in a little, in the beginning, it feels very restrictive. Like I'm, you know, I'm making, I have to do this and this. And yet, in the end, it becomes very freeing. You know, it gives us permission to do the thing that we have blocked that time off to do and we're not feeling guilty about what we're not doing during that time. So could you, since that was something that has really helped you in the beginning, could you talk a little bit more to that? Maybe just walk us through the process of what that looks like and why it was so important for you?
0: Sure, it was important for me because I, I, I have a full-time job. I want to make sure that I exercise. I want to make sure I have time for myself. And grow myself. I want to make sure that I have time for my coaching and my follow up calls and my administration and everything else. I also teach three nights, uh, two nights a week and on Sunday uh, afternoons. So my schedule is jam packed. So the way I started that is just sitting down and identifying those key things that are the most important things for my business. And then I started to develop, yep, I started to develop time around those. And it really helped you think through what was really critical and also Mm -hmm. of high value so Mm -hmm. that it wasn't just spending your time, but there was real value there. And for the things that there wasn't real value there, I got rid of them. Mm -hmm. You know, if they weren't productive for me or there were other things that were more valuable to my business, I had to prioritize given the time that I had. And then I would set up my calendar around trying to have, you know, maybe I coach on Mondays and Tuesdays and I teach on Wednesdays and Thursdays and I teach on Sundays as well. Friday is my day off, so I have a date night with my wife, um, and then I and then I plan my my calendar around it, and then I link that all to my Calendly app, you know, that I use to set my appointments, and my time blocks all match the time availability of uh, uh, that's available on time on, on Calendly, and it works beautifully. And then I've learned to automate through those apps by doing follow up emails and confirmations of, of calls and. You know, questionnaires, follow-up questionnaires and uh, coaching agreements and things like that, it's all automated now. So that mm-hmm. has taken a lot of the stress off of remembering did I do this or did I not do this for a client? And it's easy to manage when you have five clients, but when you get up to 20 and more clients, it becomes a real um, something that you really have to get control of, especially if you're only doing this part-time.
2: Absolutely. And I'm really now glad that you, you went the way that you having, did. Uh, <laughs>
0: uh, this, is,
1: this is silly. Uh,
2: yeah, it's okay. We'll 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 have Mike come back to this, um, I, if I may. Yeah. I'm really glad that you described that in the way that you did, Tim, because that is so similar to how I walk people through their budgeting. You know, the idea of setting their priorities first, recognizing what is giving you the most value that, you know, things that don't really bring value to you that aren't feeding your priorities, then those just come off. And eventually, when you've practiced those things well enough and hard enough, then you can start automating some of that so that it takes that time off of your calendar in order to to do other things with. And so I just... I love that. I kind of thought that you might go that direction, so I'm really glad you did. Even though I didn't set you up for that, um, because I just think it's one of those one of those lessons for us that when we get so so tunnel vision, sometimes we can we can do very very well with our clients in and helping them to develop you know their spending plan. But when it comes time for us to set up the plan for how we're going to manage our time, all of a sudden it feels like this this thing that's untouchable. And it's like, if we can just apply the same concepts that we do to helping people manage their money, to managing our time, we'd be shocked at how much we actually know about it. I recently started doing some of that time blocking as well. And it has been a complete life changer for me. I'm not awesome at it all the time, but I had taken on a couple jobs as well. I homeschool my daughter. And there, I think one of the hardest things for me is having to tell people no and really keep that boundary at but it's been so freeing because I'm like, you know, I'm telling you, no, not because I don't want to do it, but because I've already set this priority ahead of time. And then it just feels really good to say that to them.
0: Well, I believe Maria on a previous podcast, you had said something that made a lot of sense and it was, Only if when? I say yes, <laughs> no, but, but for this particular example, you said, Tim, I'm teasing. If I say I know you are. If I say yes to this, what do I say no to? Yeah. Because when you have very limited time, you have to focus on your priorities or you won't be effective.
2: Yes. Yep. And the same goes with our money. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yep. And I have found, because um, I do the time blocking as well, so we're all pretty on the same page here. Um, I found that, you know, if you're able to do it the night before, that's huge as compared to doing it the morning of. Because when you're doing that the morning of then you're already eating up some of your time right Mm -hmm. and you're you're feeling that pressure and like all these different things but if you do it the night before you can kind of wake up knowing that like hey i got everything planned out Everything's going to be just fine um and i don't know how you guys operate either but like even like if i were to go out for a 45 minute bike ride let's say um in my calendar i'll put i'll put it down for an hour i won't put 45 minutes You know, so I like to give myself like little extra little buffer times, um, just to ensure that like, one, I don't double book myself or nothing, you know, falls behind or anything like that. And if it does fall behind, I have room to kind of let it happen. Um, but two, to also just give myself a break every now and then.
0: Yeah. You know, it's the, it's the 50 mile, three hour rides on the weekends that you really have to block time for. Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'd love to say I know what you're talking about, <laughs> but I don't.
0: <laughs>
1: right.
2: I can't relate to that yet. <laughs>
1: I, I think I think the longest bike that I've done uh, was like maybe 10 miles. So the fact that Tim is over here doing 50 is just like mind-blowing to me. Yeah. But, you know.
0: Well, I do, I do about 150 to 175 miles a week.
1: Yeah. See, <laughs> I, I'd be lucky if I hit 50 a week. We'll keep at it.
0: You'll get there. We're in the presence of greatness. You've
1: inspired me, Tim.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Cody needs to adjust his time blocking. That's all. (laughs) That's all it is. That's all it is.
2: That's fantastic. Oh, man. (laughs) You know, another thing that you said, and I know I'm switching topics a little bit, but you did say a while ago that, that we get oftentimes caught up in that comparison trap. So I, I've heard it said before that you know, one of our tendencies is to compare our blooper reel to someone else's final cut. And you had said, Tim, that, you know, a lot of times the new coaches will compare where they are to somebody who's seasoned. And I think it's very similar to what that, that phrase means. You know, what is something that we can do as new coaches, as developing coaches, and as seasoned coaches to just kind of keep that in check a little bit and not fall into that trap of comparing our blooper reels to someone else's final cut?
0: It's hard because it's very tempting to compare yourself to others. You know, it really is. And I think it goes back to me. I know that I set my own goals for myself. Mm -hmm. I built my business plan around my own goals. And I determined my success on whether I was meeting my goals or not. And if Mm -hmm. I wasn't, then I'd go back to look at the habits that I was doing and the processes that I was using. To fine-tune the process because the goals don't make us su- a success it's the processes that we use yep. right that's from that's from uh clear's book atomic habits so you always go back and look at how you're doing things and fine-tuning constantly your process i did that with my consultation process i started i was having a horrible job with consultations and i started interviewing all different coaches i hired a coach i who gave me some structure, and I modified it. And modified, it. and my last twenty-seven consultations, I've I've got twenty-six clients out of twenty-seven consultations. So I have a process that's rock solid that works for me. It works for me, um, and I take my time with it. My consultations are very long; they're not a quick twenty minutes, thirty minutes. Um, but it took a while to get there, and and that was important for me to figure out, and and that was a goal of myself. For, for myself was to really iron out that process and I focused on that one thing until mm-hmm. I got it right love that yeah you, you took yeah. one piece you, you took the of words big...
1: right out of my mouth and...
2: yeah one piece of a big puzzle
1: They're
0: and,
2: you, and you focused yeah. on that so
0: and that's what I right. do with everything I, I will sit down and focus on one particular piece of my business until I get it right and then I move on to what what's the next thing that I need to focus on
1: and I work at that yeah. You took the words right out of my mouth, Tim. Um, as you were kind of like getting into your response to Maria, that exact quote or thought process of like, it's not about the goals. It's it's about the process from James Clear went straight through my head. And then it like literally like was pouring out of your mouth <laughs> as I was thinking it. And I was like, yes, yes, that's exactly it. And uh, just to speak on that a little bit, like, that that really is the the golden nugget in there in my opinion because he says in in the book and you can go read it it's atomic habits but you know he says like you know it's not about the goal because there's successful people and unsuccessful people who have the same goals right so it's not the goal it's how you get there right and even more even like further into that um, I would say it's not only how you get there, but it's, it's how you react to how you get there, the good and the bad, right? Cause like when things don't go your way, it's very easy to like take it personally or really, really get hurt by that and just want to like give up. I've been there myself several times, even recently, you know, something happened and I was just like really bummed about it. And I'm just like, man. Why is this happening? You know, but then I I took a second to just pause and breathe and be like, okay, I recognize that this is a part of my journey, and this is this this like setback or or whatever you want to call it is what's going to actually like mold me and forge me into the type of person that I ultimately do want to become. Which that right there is what is the driving factor to actually get you to that goal. It's not the goal itself. It's the process and how you react to the process.
0: Right. And add in a little resiliency to that too, right? Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Just a smidge. Yeah. Yeah. So Tim, we're going to go ahead and, uh, and wrap this up here because we've been on here for about 40 minutes now. Um, and, you know, you want to be respectful of your time. I know you have another class this, this evening. Um, so I want to ask one wrap-up question for you. And um, that question is this. Is what, what would be the one message that you would want a new coach to hear?
0: For me, it would be your business is your own. Set your own objectives and plans. Don't compare yourself to other coaches. And strive to learn to be the best you that you can be. And always, always continue to grow and develop.
1: Mm. So many good points in there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Way to turn one message into four, Tim. Love it. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> I'm an overachiever. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's the compound effect. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Another great book, by the way, David. If you haven't read it yet, <laughs> that actually helps with that to, mentality.
0: Have you read it? I'll have to add it. No, I'll have to add oh. it to my morning ride list of audiobooks.
2: Yes, mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. That's it another reason, to Cody.
0: That, and that's another reason, Cody. That you get to ride longer is when you get a really interesting topic on your headset, and you just don't want to yep. stop because you're really, <laughs> really ingrained in the message that's coming through. So that's another little tip. Yep
1: yep well next time we speak, I'm gonna bump it from ten to twenty miles, all right, all so.
0: right. <laughs> I'll hold you accountable I hey,
1: well, Maria, if Maria knows anything about me, she knows I'll do it, so I
2: do I do know that he will, <laughs> and then I know we'll talk about it on the podcast, and I'll just sit in awe. <laughs> Tim, this has been such a pleasure oh. to finally meet you and to just have you pro- provide the wisdom that you've already gained just through the first year of your doing your business. So I know i just on behalf of all of our listeners. Thank you for being willing to come on here and share all of that information and that wisdom.
0: Oh, it's been my pleasure. And I just want to, again, say to, to you both, thank you so much for doing what you're doing because you are hitting the core of what so many of us have questions on and it's just great to know that others are struggling with some of those same things. And this is really what I love most about financial coaching is the community. Um, The community of financial coaches. I have not met a financial coach that would not want to sit down and have a conversation. And that's the beauty of this, this, uh, career or this job that we're in is, um, you know, people love to, to, to just share and help each other
2: mm
1: mm-hmm. I, I, I totally agree. And I have the same experience too. I, I have yet to meet a coach that's like closed off or doesn't want to help. Um, it's, it's actually very refreshing. Um, and, you know, speaking of the community, uh, that's kind of where we connected was not just the podcast, but, you know, also in their, in our Facebook group too. Um, so if you haven't yet join our Facebook group, It's new money habits, financial coaches, and that's a great place to connect, uh, to learn from each, learn from each other. And, um, who knows, you might even end up on the podcast like Tim.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually thinking maybe we'll have Tim back to share with us that amazing process that he's created that has gained such a, a conversion rate for, from the consult, the consultation to having them become your client. That would be fantastic. I don't know if you're up for it, but let us know if you are.
0: Well, this is the second time I'm on your show. Because the first time I was someone oh, was that the wrote question. a question that you covered on one of your podcasts. Ah. Okay. That's awesome. Thank you. just to face to the
2: name. Yes. Yes. It, it was
0: on the communication issues. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. All right. So I'm the Tim, Tim from lives. Florida. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's thank right. you, Tim oh, from right. Florida. I
1: Forgot about that.
2: Yeah, well, <laughs> if we're gonna if we're gonna go, we might as well just do the trifecta. We'll just have you back. You can talk about your process. <laughs> we can share that with individuals, and who knows? I know you said it's yours. You know that it works for you, but there might be somebody out there who works very similarly to the way that you do and works with similar clients. And so, yeah, if you're open to it, I just think that other people love hearing how coaches do their, their thing. Uh, so they can, you know, glean from it, they can tweak it and then they
0: can produce their own version of it. Sure. Well, I got a lot out of your podcast on consultations as well.
2: Mm -hmm. Awesome. Mm -hmm.
0: Thanks for that feedback. All right. Well,
1: thank you, Tim. Appreciate it very much. And thank you as always, Maria. And also thank you to the listeners for continuing to uh, support the show and Listen in consistently every week.
2: Thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you next week.
0: Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Financial Coaches Podcast brought to you by New Money Habits and Sizemore Financial Coaching. Submit your questions to our host by emailing podcast at newmoneyhabits.com. Be sure to subscribe to be notified of future episodes and join our growing group of like-minded coaches on Facebook. And until next time, Happy coaching. Music provided by Summer School.